Well, my name is Benaya Kerbawi, and I've been I've led worship here some. I preached a, a bit ago, and uh, so I'm probably a lot of you have seen me before. But I will do a, just a brief introduction from Akron. Grew up by the university. Um, I was homeschooled, so you can make fun of me for that later. And uh, I played soccer. You can make fun of me for that later as well. <laughs> I graduated from Moody Bible Institute. I grew up at the Norton Grace Church, and I uh, interned there for a couple times after college as well, a couple years. And uh, one of those years I worked for Jeff, uh, Pastor Jeff Martell, who's a pastor here now. So uh, that is why he let me come up here tonight. But the reason you got me instead of uh, Pastor Jeff Martell is he's not in the country right now. He's in Haiti. Uh, I think we have a picture of the, the Caribbean. Yeah, there it is. Okay, see the, the big island in the middle that's red and orange? He's on the left side of that, the orange side. If you can see the top left corner, you can see the little tip of Florida sticking down. So just in case, I'd never really had this part memorized from school, this part of the world. But he's in the middle of the water down there, but below Florida, above South America. And uh, what they're doing down there, he's with a couple guys there. They're seeing what uh, we've been able to do in Haiti so far as we've supported them down there. And uh, so he's checking out what we've we've already able to do. And then he's looking for more opportunities for Grace Church to get involved down in Haiti. Um, So I thought it would be great if we could pray for him right now and for his trip. Uh, So why don't you uh, pray with me. Lord, thank you so much for Pastor Jeff and... uh, just all that he means to us and all that he, uh, all the times that he prays for us and uh, works uh, for us to, to serve us. And uh, we just thank you so much that he was willing to go down to Haiti and uh, give up his time and, and uh, be away from his family. And I just pray, Lord, while they're down there, that you would um, encourage him uh, with the way that you're working around the world, encourage the people down in Haiti uh, that they're not alone, that they're part of uh, your family that has members all over the world that care about them. And um, I just pray, Lord, that also that you would bless their efforts to find more ways for us to get involved because uh, we care and we, we want to help, but it's hard to know how to help when we're a world away. Um, and so we just, we just pray for that, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for praying with me. Um, I, actually, we're going to leave that picture up for just a second. You see those islands just below Florida? to the right there, up at the top. That's the Bahamas. I'm, I don't, I, you probably can't. If I was sitting down there, I wouldn't be able to read it from there. But uh, I was just in the Bahamas, actually. I know you're like suffering for Jesus, right? But uh, I went with a couple people from the Norton Grace Church. Uh, Ryan Gerber, who's led worship here before. In the, he's an intern at Norton. And the good-looking Pastor Bob. It was just the three of us, yes. Uh, from, he's from Norton as well. And uh, he's very good-looking if you get a chance to meet him. You have to tell him that I said that. It's very important that you remember that. Um, but it was a wonderful trip. We went down there because we, Grace Church supports uh, Ryan and Emily Flunker down in the Bahamas, and he does a whole bunch of things. Um, but one, things, one of the things that he does is he's an assistant principal at a private school down there in the Bahamas for these kids, and um, it's, it's a Christian school. And we went down there during their spiritual emphasis week, and we taught the Bible. We talked about trusting God, and we shared our lives with them and got to know them some, and uh, it was amazing. Uh, but one of, the, one of the things about going to the Bahamas that I didn't think about, I was planning for the trip, planning for the trip, and I forgot that you've got to fly there, right? So I didn't have headphones for the in-flight movies, which wasn't that big of a deal because I'm sure there weren't that great in movies. But it was actually two planes. We flew from Pittsburgh. Somebody has a Pittsburgh shirt on here. Where are you? Yeah, Pittsburgh Penguins. We flew out of Pittsburgh, and uh, 
we, we left at 3, uh, 3.30 in the morning, and we drove down to Pittsburgh to be there by 5.30 because our plane was at 7.10 or something like that. I can't remember exactly. And we flew to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And I was telling Ryan while we were at the airport waiting in Florida because we had a few hours, I said, just kind of joking around, I never want to get on a plane where the pilot doesn't have gray hair because I just I feel like if we're going to defy gravity like that, I want somebody who knows what they're doing <laughs> up on the stick, right? I want a, a veteran. It's like, yeah, I've done this thousands of times before. Um, but, but we're joking around. Okay, then we go up to the gate, and it's time to board our plane to fly to the Bahamas. And we go out the gate, and I'm expecting this tunnel, tunnel, you're in the plane, right? That's the kind of the normal thing. If you've ever flown, they, they pull the, the plane up uh, to the airport, and there's a tunnel that just feeds right up to the door of the plane, so you're never outside to get in the plane. Well, I go out to the gate, and I am outside. I go down these little stairs, and I'm standing on the ground, and there's our plane. It was, uh, from the outside, it looked like one of those uh, jets, private jets you'd see in a movie where, like, the rich guy has this fancy private jet. It's like a little smaller plane. But the inside was not limousine style. It was sardine style. <laughs> you know what I mean? And there's no, there's no TV in the back of the seat or anything like that. Well, I'm already kind of nervous because uh, I've never flown in a smaller plane like that. And as we're coming into it, I realize that the pilot is the guy in front of me, and he's my age. And uh, so how many times cause he, has he flown, you know? And then uh, I sit in my row as the one that's on the wing, like across the wing, and I look out and I see that there's propellers on the wings. <laughs> I'm like, oh, great. So this plane is held aloft by spinning propellers. That just, I've been in some, some you know, commercial jets, but I've never been in a plane like that. It's not really small, but it was small to me, you know? And uh, I, I comforted myself because I could tell that there was, it was like a jet engine combo with propeller, prop-assisted, I don't know. I don't know too much about planes, but I was already kind of scared. And um, as soon as we start to take off, the plane is small enough that, that you can feel the ground reminding you and the air reminding you that you really shouldn't be flying. Man wasn't made to fly because every bump, every gust of wind, you know, they feel the plane kind of do this. And you're like, uh, don't do that, you know. And uh, our young, youthful pilots up front, I don't know, I can't see them. I'm just assuming. Uh, so I'm really, you know, it's terrifying. And we, we get up in the air and uh, the, the propellers are so loud, spinning, and they vibrate the whole plane so it's like if you were to cover your ears, it's like talking underwater, and it's you know it's like because the whole air is the air is vibrating uh, with these propellers. And I have a picture. I didn't bring it, but I have a picture uh, of looking out the window. The side of the engine facing me says, "Our plane is designed so that it's 10 dB quieter in where you're sitting." And I'm like. I don't, I don't even want to know how much louder it would be. You know what I mean? It's, it was amazing how loud it was. It was so uncomfortable compared to any other jet I've been on. And flying isn't usually that comfortable to begin with. And then we're only flying like 12,000 feet, which normally you're like 40,000 in, in a big jet. And the turbulence and the clouds and being able to see stuff, I got sick. And I didn't, I didn't get sick. I didn't, but I, I felt sick. Okay, maybe that's a good, safe way to put it. Uh, so the whole, the whole experience was just miserable, right? If, if I had it, they'd been like, okay, Benai, here's your choice. You can fly in this, this prop plane, or I just said, I'll take or, right? That would not have been my choice. But there's really no other way to get there. Eleuthera in the Bahamas is this island that's 
maybe 100 miles long and about a mile and a half wide on average. A little skinny strip of an island. They don't have that big of an airport. And I know that you can tell I'm in the, the peak of physical fitness, but I could never have swum there, right? So it's really it's the only way to get there. It's not the way I would have chosen, but it's the only way to get there, okay? And that is my way of preparing you for what the church is in for in Acts chapter 8. So go ahead and start flipping to Acts. We're in this series, Multiply, as we see the church grow from the death of Jesus and his resurrection to their being launched and the, the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost, how they grow and they grow. And uh, they're going to grow a whole lot tonight. But if we could choose, we probably would have chosen a different way if there was one. Okay, so while you're flipping, uh, if you're still flipping, let me um, prep you a little bit. We've, we've talked about how the church has the Holy Spirit and what that does in our lives. We've, we've seen them grow in generosity with each other, where they're giving and giving to each other. In fact, they're even selling property that they have to make sure nobody is needy within the church. We've seen them grow in boldness through the persecution of the religious leaders. They're saying, you can't talk about Jesus anymore. You have to stop. You have to stop. And these are big, important men. And they go back and they don't pray to be relieved of that pressure. They pray for boldness. They're growing in generosity. They're growing in boldness. And they're, they're growing in unity and all these things. And then they don't realize it. They're being prepared for something. And then one day, Stephen, this is, this is six and seven. We have to kind of get up to eight. In 6 and 7, a guy named Stephen, who is a leader in the church, a deacon you could call him, he was well-known, he was trusted, he was full of faith. He's talking about Jesus, and people have had enough. People who believed so strongly in what they believed that they didn't even want to hear anyone else disagreeing with them, so much so that when they heard somebody disagreeing with them, it made them angry. It made them want to get the other person to stop. Does that sound familiar? People, can't, people are so entrenched in what they believe that they get angry at anyone who do, believes differently. Stephen's preaching the gospel, and they've had enough, and they kill him. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. We'll go to 3. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. Saul's not important tonight, but he will be important in the future. On that day, that day that Stephen is killed, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Here's your first point. God leads through pain. God leads through pain. Now, we've watched the church start. We've watched it grow from a group, a small group to thousands. We've watched them be generous with each other. We've watched them grow in boldness. We've watched many things. And they have really preached the gospel in Jerusalem. And if we were going to write the next chapter for them, we would have said, and then they went somewhere else and they did the same thing. What they had going was working. So they just, they kept on doing that. 
But God writes the next chapter. And God writes it differently than I would have. The church is struck deeply, not just a little bit. Not just a little bit. Stephen wasn't just anybody. It's sad when anybody dies, but Stephen was one of their leaders. That left a big hole in the church. He was trusted, he was wise, he was bold. Can you imagine? Somebody so important to the church and they're just gone. Verse 3, more people, more of the well-known people, the people that could be identified in the church easily, are dragged off to prison. You, 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 gone. But not just gone. Now we have to worry about your well-being in prison. Now we have to worry about what we're going to do while you're not around. Murder, prison, Chapter 8, verse 1. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. That is the surrounding country. They're all in Jerusalem and they had to flee for their lives. Can you imagine if somebody in your family, part of the church, gets thrown in prison? And then you realize that you have to either flee or die. Maybe you get put in prison too. What kind of a gut-wrenching decision is that to have to make? People you care about, people you love, maybe even people in your own family are in jail. You can't even be at Stephen's funeral because you have to run. So when I say God leads through pain, I'm not just talking about a little bit. But they went out as planned. That's, that's what you have to understand. God doesn't just lead us through pain. Like if we get to pain, he will help us through it. He takes our hands and sometimes he has to lead us to it. Sometimes that's the plan. Re, uh, think about Acts 8.1. And all except the apostles are scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now we're going to read 1.8. 8.1, 1.8. But you will be, receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They'd already reached Jerusalem in a large way. It was time for the next step. It was time for Judea and Samaria. It's just not necessarily how I would have sent the church out to reach Judea and Samaria. But remember I talked about how they were so generous with each other, that they were selling their, their properties if they had to in order to make sure everybody had what they needed within the church. Imagine if God, you just feel totally convicted by God, you need to sell your house to supply the money for, for needy people in the church. That'd be a hard decision, right? Well, you, you do it, you go ahead and you do it, you're obedient to God, you sell what you have, you give to the poor people in the church, and everybody has what they need, and then God goes, okay, it's time to move. That makes sense, right? That helps a little bit. So it, it, it's not a coincidence. God, this, is, this is the plan. And if you need a little more convincing, 
Stephen, who gets smartered, and that sparks this whole thing. You know why they killed him? We're not going to read it, so I don't expect you to know, but I'll I'll tell you. In chapter 7, he is preaching to to these, these Jews, the Jewish leaders. He's telling them all about Jesus, and then he gets to a point, and God gives him a vision of heaven, and he looks up and he sees glory. And that's when they've had enough. That's the spark. That's when they kill him. God gave him the vision and brought him home and got this whole thing started. I don't, I don't like telling you this. This, isn't, this is not what I would have done. And it's very hard to say. But it's true. God leads us through pain. It's easy when we hear about difficult things happening to people and God overcoming that in their lives. A missionary faces great tragedy and obstacles and God does great things through them in spite of it. We nod along and say, that's great. But when it happens to us, we just want out of it. So it's difficult to say. It's difficult to talk about, but it's the truth. When God said, you'll be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria, the Great Commission is what they call it. They're finding out now the Great Commission comes at a great cost. If we want to follow God and be his church, it's not always going to be comfortable. I can't tell you why. Like if you're telling me bad things, bad, these bad things have happened to the church, I wouldn't be able to go one by one and tell you, well, God's doing this and God's doing that and God's doing this. I, w- I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to do that. Um, I'm, that would be awesome. It would be awesome if every time we were in pain, we could see exactly why, what the point was. But, but, it's, but he is leading us. When we were down in the Bahamas, and, and uh, Pastor Bob, the good-looking Pastor Bob, can't forget that, uh, he was teaching, he was giving a sermon in, in the home church of the Flunkers. And he, he made this point. He said, every single defining moment in his life shaped where God shaped who he was and sent him where he needed to go. Every single one of those is painful. That's what God, that's how, that's how God works in us. I get frustrated listening to Christian music sometimes because I hear a lot of Christian songs that are like, God, I want to feel your love and your mercy washing over me like waves. Everything's like water or rain washing over us. And, and I just want to be changed forever. But that's not how God does it. I hear a lot of songs like that, and that's a little bit annoying. Uh, Romans 8, I think we've got it up on the screen if you don't want to have to flip there. Romans 8, 16 and 17 says this. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed, and this is what he means by heirs, because it's talking about an inheritance, right? An inheritance. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So when we talk about God leads us through pain, that suffering is the path to glory. I can tell you right now, the path ahead for Grace Church, as it's always been, is not always going to be very comfortable. That doesn't mean something is wrong. 
And I hate to do this to you, but I have to. God loved us to death. Can he not ask us to follow him? That's what that means. We share in his sufferings in order that we, we may also share in his glory. So that means that sometimes as a church, as we follow God and we run the race, we're going to do it with a limp, okay? We're moving on to our second point. God leads us through pain, but and as we limp, we're going to come across hurdles, which if you had a runner and they had a limp, you probably wouldn't put hurdles in front of them, right? God isn't always fair. So luckily, God leads us through any obstacles, okay? Any obstacles. And I want you to write down any. Don't just write God leads us through obstacles. We're going to see, this is going to go a little faster now because we're going to cover a bunch of verses and uh, it, it, it just doesn't seem all that hard for them. But I want you to try to keep in mind what they've been through and then I'll explain a little bit more as we go. But we're going to start in 4, Acts 8, chapter 4. Or, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Those who had been scattered through death, prison, persecution, preached the word wherever they went. No amount of doubt stopped them. They didn't hide in caves for their life. They'd been prepared properly. God knew what he was doing. And as they fled for their lives, they preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. Now, see, it's just kind of flying by. But Samaria, let me explain Samaria a little bit. If you've ever heard a sermon on the woman at the well in John chapter 4, then you've heard a little bit about this. So I won't, I won't like belabor it, but I want to make sure everybody knows what I'm talking about. Samaria, I think we have a map, another map uh, in the PowerPoint. There it is. You see the big green blob in the middle labeled Israel. That's the northern part of Israel. We would think of all of that as Israel. But the northern part is green and the southern part is yellow. Okay, who remembers David and Goliath? Go ahead and raise your hand. I'll go for a little participation. King David was awesome. He was a valiant warder, a warrior. I don't know what happened there. He was a valiant warrior. And one of, his, uh, one of his best buddies, who was, he had a lot of warriors that ran with him. And one of, one of his best warriors was a guy named Benaiah. Uh, not kidding. It's, uh, 2 Samuel 23, 20. Um, but he was awesome. He did some awesome things. His son, Solomon, was awesome for a completely different reason. Uh, he was one of the wisest guys ever, probably the wisest guy ever. And he was a great king in a lot of ways and a bad king in others. But because of some sin, as when, when Solomon's son took over, the kingdom is split in half. They managed to avoid civil war, but the kingdom of Israel is split in half, okay? Green and yellow. And I don't, I don't know if you can see it all that well, but just the kingdom is split in half. The people in the north worship golden calves so that, so that they won't have to go to Jerusalem to worship with the southern kingdom because Jerusalem is in the, you can see right at the top of the yellow, the, the southern part of the kingdom. 
So the people in the north don't want to have to go down there, so they worship golden calves. They are much closer to the kingdoms up north, who like Babylon and Assyria, who do all this conquering. So they get conquered a lot more, and, and people keep planting outsiders to live with them. So they intermarry with these outsiders, and they accept their idols, and they, and they worship their idols. They don't always side with the southern kingdom, with Jerusalem, when it comes to wars. In fact, sometimes they go to war with Jerusalem. So you've got these half-breed, blasphemous betrayers. Which is why the woman at the well thinks it's so weird that Jesus would even talk to her. And they point that out. In that passage, she points it out that it's weird. Okay? Acts 8, 5. Philip went down to a city in Samaria. Exclamation point. Are they going to even listen to him? When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in the city. So God even gave, you know, let him do these miracles to authenticate the message to make sure that they would listen. So you've got this doubt hurdle that they just leap right over. You've got this cultural hurdle that God just bulldozes. And you've got one last hurdle. See, the problem with the city where Philip goes to tell them about God is they already have a representative of God down there. We'll pick it up in nine. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is the divine power known as the great power. That's kind of weirdly translated. just means this guy is awesome because he represents God. He's got divine power. They followed him because he, was, he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. You see how we just kind of fly through that? Put yourself down in the city of Samaria. You're in a room half this size, with a, packed tight. And Philip's up at the front. You've, you've never met him before, but he's got some amazing things to say about this guy named Jesus that maybe you'd heard of because he traveled around a bit. And he's saying that he was the Messiah. And because you're a Samaritan, you've got Jewish heritage, so you know about the Old Testament, and you know that God's supposed to send a Messiah. So you're really interested in what he has to say, especially since it's standing room only, and Joe is lame, so he can't stand, so Philip just heals him. And then he can stand. So you're like, I'm really going to pay attention to what this guy has to say. And he's right in the middle of the gospel. And you're really engrossed in what he has to say. And then you hear the door and you turn around. Oh, it's Simon. There's not room in this town for the both of them. I forgot about him. He represents God. But Philip's saying he represents God. There's about to be a showdown. No, there's not. What does it say? It says Simon goes, wow, your message and your miracles, I fold. Isn't that kind of amazing? The church has just been hit really hard. Philip goes down to Samaria and, and faces 
I've identified three major obstacles. One, the pain he's walking out of. Two, the cultural difference and all the barriers that puts up. And three, the fact that they already had somebody who was so impressive. And we just, we just bulldoze right through that stuff. Now, it probably didn't look so easy to him, right? It only looks easy from our view because the Bible is just telling us what happened. And we're like, well, I read verse 8 and then I read verse 9. Reading is easy. But what it represents is, is some major obstacles that God just, just did the impossible. And that's the point. Things are going to seem impossible. I talked about the way forward for Grace Church is not always going to be comfortable. If we're going to follow God, it's not always going to be comfortable. Well, the way forward for Grace Church is sometimes going to seem impossible. But that doesn't mean... Here, we have the problem that when we come on a hurdle, whether it's in our lives or at work or whatever it is, when we come up on a hurdle, when things get difficult, we wonder if maybe we're going the wrong way. But that's not what that means. When we're following God and we come up on an obstacle, it doesn't mean we're going the wrong way. Think about how hard, how hard they had it. It's not that our obstacles aren't going to be big. I, uh, I have to, I'm, I'm really, I, I know I'm going to make some of you angry right now, but I eat gluten-free. And uh, if you've never heard of that or you, want, what, or you don't know what it is, gluten is a protein. So it, does, it is something like you would have heard in biology class or something like that maybe. But uh, it's in wheat, rye, and barley. It's a protein found in grain. And I can't eat it. It makes me really sick. I, I promise you it's not a diet. It's not a fad. I, I get really, really bad sick if I eat it. And I went to the Bahamas, right? I worried in planning to go that I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to find gluten-free food because they import all their food from the United States. And uh, you have to, I have to be picky when I go to the grocery store and I go into Giant Eagle, which is massive. On Eleuthera, they don't have Giant Eagle. So I don't know what I'm going to be able to find. I don't know what I'm going to be able to eat. And I know that if I accidentally eat the wrong thing, I'm out of commission. So it kind of sounds like a big deal, right? I got to eat. I worried myself sick about this. We're emailing the missionaries. They're not getting back to us. What am I going to eat? I even thought about not going because I didn't know what I was going to eat while I was down there. But you know what? I felt like God wanted me to go. I prayed about it. So I went and I bought some really overly expensive stuff. At, was it seven grains or mustard seed? Yeah, one of those. And uh, I don't even know. Just got sent. So I bought some, some weird things that are apparently gluten-free. And, I, and I, I went down there. And I was fine. Emily Flunkert cooks amazing meals. And she was like, oh, I just kind of like looked up on the internet how to make gluten-free meatloaf. It was such good meatloaf. I ate great while I was down there. What was I worried about? Well, it seemed like it was important. Right, because it is important. I got to eat. Right? Don't laugh at Yeah, okay, you can laugh at me. Never mind. Um, it's not that our obstacles that we're going to face as a church aren't a big deal. It's that God can handle it. We, we have, we, I know that we'd love to have a building someday so that we don't have to haul the equipment in and out all the time. That part of that is the equipment. This stuff is amazing, but it's eventually going to wear out. Um, this is not the, micro the first microphone I tried out today. Uh, trust me. 
Uh, we had an adventure there. I, we had Tyler Jensen on his back on the floor working on wiring things. Um, I don't know why. I think, I think maybe he just likes to work on wiring things. But this microphone, was, I was having problems with one other microphone. There, you know, we, we worry about our equipment. We worry about a building. We worry about having people. They're always asking for help downstairs, the kids and stuff like that. We have obstacles as a church to the ministry we would like to do that we feel like we're obeying God. Okay? It's not that those things don't matter, that they're not really that big of a deal. It's that God is a bigger deal. So he, he leads us through pain. He even leads us to pain. But he also leads us right through any obstacle. It's going to look impossible. Sometimes it's going to be really hard, but God can do it. Okay? And we persevere. This is where we get, it, gets, it gets happy. Okay? I, I promise the time was coming. Um, this, this faithful following we do is fueled by hope. Hope in what God is going to do. It's painful now. There are obstacles now, but God is going to do something, and we put our hope in that. So my third point is that God leads well, okay? He may lead us through pain. He may lead us through obstacles, but he leads well. And the hallmark of a good leader is that he takes you where you were supposed to go. You wouldn't consider him to be a good taxi driver if you told him 352nd Main Street and you ended up on Hopkin. Right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't think he was a good taxi driver. God leads well. Okay? Look at what happens to the church because of the pain they experience, because of the obstacles that are overcome. Look at what happens. Uh, verse 8. There was great joy in the city. Samaria used to be part of Israel, they knew that God was going to send a Messiah. God fulfills a whole bunch of promises that are really, really important to these people through Philip, through what was going on. That's not a small thing. Joy in a city? The whole city is rejoicing? Probably not everyone, but you know what I mean. There's rejoicing, and there was much rejoicing in the city. God is fulfilling all of his promises. Now let's go one step further. David and Solomon was a thousand years before this. A thousand years, Israel has been split in two. And while politically, they were still that way. In God's church, the followers of God are reunited. God has made the two into one again. After a millennia. You don't think that's a big deal? I think that's a big deal. The God, these people who had been separated from from their countrymen for a thousand years of war and apostasy are brought back together because of pain that the church was experiencing. God leads well. God's goal for our church is the same. God's goal for Grace Church is to bless our world, our piece of the world, we can even reach beyond that and bless people in places like Haiti because the world is amazing and we have the internet and we have uh, airplanes and all this stuff. The world keeps getting smaller every day, so we're able to bless Barbadon. We're also able to bless other places. And we get to bring God glory. And God is doing the same thing through us that he was doing back then. And we know that the Great Commission comes at a great cost. And I can tell you from experience because I grew up at Grace Church. 
that we faced our fair share of pain and obstacles. Okay? The, the biggest campus that's part of Grace Church is the Bath Campus. Well, I remember when they were about to shut their doors. I remember when, this is only like three years ago, I remember when Norton, Norton Grace caught on fire. And it was in the news and all that. And there, there's many other things, but we don't want to forget that. We don't want to forget where we've been because then we'll forget what God's done. And what has God done through Grace Church? Well, maybe you have some stories. But I can tell you, when I was an intern at Norton and I met with Pastor Dan every week, he told me the stories of the people that would come to his office and tell him how their lives were being changed forever, for eternity, by God through the ministry of Grace Church. There's a girl back there. She's very cute. She's my wife. She got saved by God through the ministry of Grace Church. We used to do this thing called Judgment House. I won't explain it to you, and it's not as scary. Well, it was as scary as it sounds, but it, it, was, it was also awesome. But God used Grace Church to make an eternal impact on her life. And I tell you what, it's very important to me. Um, but what about here? What about the backpacks that we put together for the school kids? What about the hunting dinner? Who was at the hunting dinner? Is God working through grace? Not that many of you. Huh? I guess none of you were hunters. Uh, I didn't go. Um, God is doing great things through Grace Church. So God leads well, okay? We've been through pain. We've been through obstacles, and it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to continue, but God leads well. He does amazing things, okay? I'm, I'm out of time, so let me wind it up this way. What I've said is hard. I promised you that we follow God, we'll experience pain, that we'll come up against impossible obstacles. But I promise you that we can have hope in what God will do because of that, that he knows what he's doing. So my, my advice to you is to follow when it hurts, to follow when it seems impossible. And this one is really important, and it's even a good one and a happy one, but it's something we always forget to do. Celebrate everything that God does. Celebrate it and remember it because that is the fuel for our faith that keeps us going when it's painful and when it's difficult. We look back and we remember. It was painful before. God did amazing things before. So it's painful now. God has a track record. He's got an awesome track record. And we do ourselves no favor by forgetting the great things that God does in our church and in our lives. I'm going to close with this psalm because I feel like I need to read something really, really encouraging right now. And uh, the psalms can be really discouraging or really encouraging, but this one happens to be encouraging. Um, they all show God's faithfulness. Why don't you close your eyes, bow your heads, and I will read this and then I will pray, okay? These are the words of David, that King David who killed Goliath. That he speaks from experience. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all.